Hello and welcome to the Frightful Failures on Film podcast, a podcast where we will go over both our opinions of older film as well as new poop that is coming out. I am one half of your host, Zach Romero. And that would be the other half, uh, Tien Guignol. The better half, I would say, if I could. Well, if we were you. going if we were going steady, like we were going to prom, I would say my better half, TN. So I'd, be the, I'd be the bottom half then. The, <laughs> the 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 power bottom half, I'd like to say. Oh, um, oh, goodness. So uh, between the two of us, we have about forty five years worth of horror movie history, I guess, not working on it, but watching it, not talking to girls, not having real hobbies, just watching horror films. And so we've kind of decided to come together and, and share our experiences and our thoughts and dissect uh, like, a, I, like a big fat Voltron. <laughs> it's a big lumpy, wasn't great at sports Voltron, and uh, yes. so we're here to sort of discuss, I guess, mo- both modern horror and, and classic horror. This is obviously our first episode, so we're going to try to kind of bring everybody up to speed on who we are and 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 get right into some discussions. Now, the first aspect that we want to discuss, the sort of coming attractions, if you will, before we get into the first film we're going to discuss today, is for the Purge Three Election Day and the trailer. Just came out for it, uh, I think about a week ago, and it caused a lot of stir. A lot of people were really psyched about this, and I'm interested yeah. to hear what your thoughts are. Tian. Now, first off, have you seen all the other Purge movies? I, well, you know, um, the first one I saw in theaters, and I was really disappointed by. And I think <laughs> everybody in the, else in the world was. They, they're like, "Whoa, what a great concept! Let's do the whole thing inside a house and not really show any of the actual like cool concept of the movie happening." And I think that was the huge feedback that the you know producers got. And they're like, "Okay, well, let's just completely change that for the second movie." Second one I've not seen from start to finish. I put it on the background one day while I was working on something, and so I was kind of turning over and seeing you know, Big Daddy and different things happening at certain points. And of course I've, you know, been to the Halloween Horror Nights on the years that they did, you know, purge stuff. Um, I assume you went last year, you went through the purge haunted house. I was just going to say, I haven't seen the movies, but I went through the haunted house. So I feel oh, like that's basically well, the same thing. Well, you're caught up. Right. <laughs> Um, which was supposed to be a scream house. I don't know if you were aware. Oh, I was not aware of that. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's why when you walk in the kitchen, you see stovetop popcorn. That's exactly why. Oh. Yeah. little uh, fun fact. (laughs) If I had known that, I just would have been a real dick and just would have kept screaming, where's Ghostface at? No, going into that house as a scream house, you really see this. Like The the following scene after that is someone hanging from a tree, and you're like, this is scream three, isn't it? Like uh, (laughs) Where's Matthew Lillard at? This doesn't make any sense. So, the thing about The Purge, though, and, and I think this trailer confirms it, is that this is officially built a franchise, you know, that's, you know, I think this is officially confirming this is going to be like a paranormal activity kind of thing. This is just going to keep going forever. Now, with that said, I have to, I agree with you completely. The first film, it was such an awesome concept, like so brilliant, and then... Yeah just wasn't really executed in the best way. But I believe it was, uh, I want to say it was Max Landis who said that The Purge is one of the only film trilogies that works in reverse, that they get better as the series goes on because, like you said, they stop focusing on, oh, let's just keep it contained to this one house. Yeah. And they've spread into, well, what would this concept really mean for a country? And so... Watching yeah, the new exactly. trailer, I have to say I, I was kind of on board with it. I'm a, there are a couple things I'm initially kind of hesitant about. Uh, I don't want to be social justice guy, but I'm not 100% on board with a movie where it revolves around like, oh, this senator survived the purge 
and all of her family died, and she still needs to be saved by people. And I'm like, why wouldn't she become like Sarah Connor? Why wouldn't she just be like, and now I kick ass? I didn't. I, I'm not 100 percent on yeah, board with fair. that. But again, it's just a trailer, so I'm not going to completely condemn it. No, that's fair. And and yeah, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the victim role. I think it's more so the idea of wow, she's making a lot of enemies, and this is going to be like 100 mm. people heavily armed. True, be coming for her, Sarah Connor or not, you know, like that's that's a good point. Heavily armed coming for her. So I didn't see it necessarily as damsel in distress just yet. There's a scene where like a special ops guy or whoever the hell handsome guy is is like he's like, oh, there's only one thing we can do. Here. Here. It's all about survival. I'm like, she would know that. Like, her family was murdered by the purge. She knows what's yeah, up. She um, would know that. You don't need to have, like, the Chris Pratt Jurassic World type. Right, like, these are dinosaurs. They gotta be trained. Like, yeah, like... <laughs> You don't have to necessarily be like, do you know what the purge is, lady? Like, look, I'm trying to shut it down because my whole family was murdered. Okay, yeah, yeah I'm, exactly. I'm somewhat familiar with it. Very aware of what the purge is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We played a lot of purge games this evening. We have just one more. It's called Mommy's Choice. Which one of you will survive this year's purge? The soul of our country is at stake. The purge targets the poor and the innocent. The Senator's going to win. She's going to make real changes, too. It is a night that is defining our country. It's time to do something about that, Senator. The purge has to come to an end. You take a lot of risks, Senator. I have to. I was the only one in my family to survive. What made you apply for this position? I almost did something on purge night some years back. I want this night gone. I want men in all these rooms. We got eyes and ears on everything. All right, let's begin. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge. At the siren, all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 hours. Your government thanks you for your participation. Someone betrayed us. This is not a drill. We are on our own. We have one goal right now. Survival. Senator, come with us. You gentlemen understand what's at stake here. It's our duty to help protect her. Here they come. Blessed be America for letting us purge and cleanse our souls. Join me as we eliminate evil. Purge and kill. Purge and kill. So I do like the fact that because we've established what the purge is, that we can talk about, we can go in like much more interesting directions. Like I think of it like superhero movies. Yeah. That first movie is usually ninety percent origin, so you can't exactly. So you can't get in anything exciting or new. But in this case, it feels like you can, that you can go. That's exactly right. We all know what The Purge is, so now let's tell this interesting story. Here's one of the things that I really like about The Purge is that, you know, you take an interesting concept and you could have just kind of ended it there aesthetically. But I like that they The Purges seem to really build for themselves this kind of brand of what a purge 
larger looks like. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's very, it's very much something that everybody recognizes now. Like, for instance, if you went to, like, a Spirit Halloween last year, like, you would see the kind of rip-offs, just like you find the rip-off, like, Stranger's Masks. Or right. Or you would find rip-off Purge Masks. You'd find, like, you know, the, the face with the X'd-out eyes and God written on the forehead or whatever, and people know what a Purger looks like now, generally. True, it's which... just kind of aesthetic they're building. I did, I did notice that they really, really liked that in this trailer here. There was a lot of different shots of just, you know, people with different masks and things like that. So obviously they're really enjoying this aesthetic that they're coming up with. So, so that's cool. I don't have a problem with that. But just to further my point from earlier, nowhere in that trailer do you see the senator holding a gun, uh, defending herself in any way. She has a bulletproof vest on. And there's a moment where somebody's holding a knife to her throat, and she looks like she's crapping them. So that's that's a fantastic point, um, and it's something I didn't even look for until right now when we were watching that trailer. That you know, it really does look like. I mean, the guy, the like Chris Rad is like holding her hand, like running right. her through the streets. You know, it's very, it's very like a, you're the woman, I'm protecting you. I, I didn't Which that I get it thing. because you know you can see it from the point of view of like a political play, like oh everyone wants her, like the you know the the bad government wants to keep her quiet, the underground wants to protect her because she's horror movie Bernie Sanders. Like I get that, but <laughs> that's true. You know. It, it, she she could at least hold a gun is all my, is my point like she doesn't have to be just like oh I don't know what to do it's like uh, you've you've already you know what this is you're trying to stop it you would think you would have taken like a woman's self defense class at some point yeah no it's true uh, yeah you would hope that you become more of like a Trish from Jessica Jones kind of character, right exactly strong female um, but uh, no honestly um, uh, if I were to predict the ending of it though I would imagine that she is kind of. Um, maybe she's just, uh, you know, the reason why we're not seeing her kind of kicking ass in this is that, you know, she is still a senator who's looking to end the purge, and that would make her a pacifist by nature. You know, she's mm, like, true. I, I understand these people are after me, but I really, I don't want to become physical with anybody. I don't want to have to kill anyone. I want this night over with. And that maybe that's kind of the transformation, almost like a, you know, hostile kind of thing. Okay. Um, where she ends up becoming, the, the victim becomes the, you know, killer at the end, sort of. Almost. I would be okay with that. And like I said, it looks good. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to rain on the parade of this trailer. I I do really like where it's coming from. I like that it is. No, it's fine. And also, this podcast is called Frightful Failure, so we're allowed to talk shit about it. Oh, we are. Okay, good. Good. Like, good. I'm not saying like, well, look at this great trailer. Right. Oh, but the cinematography. Uh, no, but um, I will say that I do. I enjoy how topical it is. However, I don't want the purge to become the daily show of horror films. Like, where they are now, I think, is a good balance. It's like you've got your Lady Barry Sanders, you've got Keep America Great, which is the, the Donald Trump uh, tagline. So it's like, okay, that's that's good. I, I like that. I think that's interesting, yeah. and I think it keeps it relevant. However, yeah. if you go too far with that and jump the shark, it stops being relevant and it starts dating your film. Like if they yeah, had started, no, if they had started out from the beginning true. and there was like an Obama character that was like, "I'm going to start the purge," and then it's like, "Oh no, what are we going to?" Yeah. Then it's like, "Okay, that's topical for the time," but now in ten years, it's going to be like, "Wait, why? Why was that a thing?" So I think if they can find yeah, a balance, exactly. well, it just can't be too 
Yeah, exactly. It can't be too heavy-handed with that. You yes. know, if you want to have some kind of smaller, more subtle points of, like, a Bernie versus Trump kind of thing, you know, then that's totally cool. And in that case, it wouldn't date it because people could enjoy it on the surface level and just say this is a horror movie and this is, adds to the lore of the Purge. Yes. The Purge canon, you know, without being a super heavy commentary on what was happening at the time. It's just not enjoyable anymore because we all know that Donald Trump became president and blew up the world. Or right, exactly. Um, so I did, <laughs> I will say, though, if I can be, if I can try to end on a positive note um mm-hmm. the part in the church i really dug that i really really yeah. dug that the the purge and prevail i was like yes there should be nutty bars out there who are like this is their this is their christmas and not just the look i'm wearing a mask that looks like the statue of liberty i'm so hardcore like i yeah, I, no, I get that but i like i want to see people who are higher up in the social economical hierarchy also, like, freakishly loving this for weird reasons. So I was like, okay, I like yeah. the church part. I like that a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I like that a lot as well. It reminded me, this is a terrible analogy, but I just saw um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and uh, was unfamiliar with the book and how they had, you know, done that with Pride Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was uh, an aspect of them getting to, like, a zombie church where, you know, the zombies are kind of uh, peaceful and, you know, eating pig brains and kind of talking about how they like to, you know, form some kind of an alliance with the humans and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, it kind of reminded me of that, of, you know, like uh, a very, you know, the, the contrast of, you know, church being, church and chapel being the very, like, safe haven, the sanctuary, mm-hmm. you know, filled with villains, essentially, filled right. with, you know, bad people. It reminded um, me of uh, the subplot in The First Dead Rising with the weird cult and the yellow ponchos. That's what it reminded oh, me yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you go in the movie theater and they're doing the sacrifice or whatever, I was like, okay, I'm on board yeah, with this. Yeah. I was like, Tian, feel free to bring us into what movie we're, we're discussing today. All right, so um, as you briefly touched on, uh, we'll be covering a lot of movies, new releases that we find on Netflix. You know, It's easy to find, and it's easy for you guys as well. Anybody that ends up stumbling upon this podcast, you can actually go see this movie for free if it's still on there. You know, We're not going to make you hunt this thing down. Yeah, please but, don't spend uh, real money on this. Please do not. I'm pretty sure they will charge you like between four and ten dollars for this thing and that is too much <laughs> 99 cents is too much for this movie here's and here's the other thing that we do want to kind of clarify is that you know even though we're generally going to be reviewing what are regarded as bad horror movies uh we'll tell you whether or not it's worth a watch yeah there are plenty of bad horror movies that are worth watching and then and um, and if we before we jump into the movie i want to kind of give a little more mm-hmm. background on us um yeah i i do a i've done a review show on YouTube for a few years now, and uh, I kind of relish in really bad movies. Um, there's, I own more B movies on DVD than I do regular movies because there there is a certain appreciation to that. And in a weird way, you know, uh, like a Plan Nine or something like that, as laughable as it is, you can still see like that Ed Wood really wanted to make a movie, and that's why he made it. So there is a sort of um, polish and, and genuineness to certain bad films, and so I have always had an appreciation for B-movies, so we're not, I don't want to, I don't want to come in as like, well, if it's not a mainstream horror film, we want nothing to do with it, and that's why we're going to poop on everything. We're going to poop I'm, on stuff that deserves to be pooped sure, on. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get the opportunity to maybe poop on mainstream horror as well, because there's a lot of bad horror movies that are still hitting theaters, so I mean, True. happy to do it as well. Um, so Tommy, give, give a little background on you and, and where you're coming from on horror films. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so like Zach, um, I do come from a background of horror films, you know, films in general, but the horror films specifically, I've always loved B-horror, I've always loved uh, Slapstick, as it's referred to, mm-hmm. sort of built with uh, Return of the Living Dead and Reanimator and, uh, you know, Dead Alive and movies like that that sort of established the, the horror comedy, and that's a lot where I come from. Uh, I'm a writer, um, and I'll plug my Tumblr at the end that has uh, a lot of my work there on it, um, and will continue to post work on it. But, um, you know, I'm very much somebody who enjoys screenwriting, um, you know, short stories, horror stories, uh, mixing horror and comedy. That's always been something that I've enjoyed as a genre and I have a background in theater as well. And so, you know, you'll also hear me kind of get a little fruity about that sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, <laughs> that is uh, that is pretty much me. Um, now, where, so, yeah, so. now, for this first one we decided to go with was something that just came out on Netflix, um, yeah. an independent film called The Chosen. Now... Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy, before we before we got started with this film, how did yeah. you come across it? You were sort of our if, to make the the uh, the connection. You were sort of the TV's Frank of uh, of this because you were going through and picking out what movies we wanted to go with and uh, and and sort of making the decision there. So where did when you first came across the Chosen? Um, yeah, what what stuck out to you? What made you go? Okay, let's give this a shot. Well, the poster is actually interesting for it. Um, it is a stark white background with just the face of what is uh, the, the monster of this film, mm-hmm. the antagonist of this film. And it was so uh, minimalistic and sort of neat looking. I said, oh, this sounds interesting. Um, the, uh, the brief description of the movie on Netflix did not really sound interesting, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 but it was between that and a few that I'd sort of tossed over to you and said, Hey man, for a first episode, um, here's, you know, a couple movies I've found that are new releases. That way we can be relevant, you know, not review a movie that came out in the early nineties, which right. there's no telling we're not going to do that, but, right. um, <laughs> but, but to try and be a little more relevant. And, uh, and I feel that sometimes, uh, movies that are made with more, uh, intended sincerity in terms of attempting to be scary or attempting to be dramatic or attempting to be thrilling, that that is, uh, a lot more fodder for, um, you know, parody, uh, and Very true. making, making fun of it than, you know, something like, you know, and I, and I said this to you in a, in a meeting before we did this, that, you know, versus like three headed octopus versus, right. you know, 10 billion like crab, you know, that they obviously know what they're doing. <laughs> well, um, and, and, and you, you bring up a really good point. We're going to try, for the most part, to focus on new releases and, and things like that simply because, A, it's going to be very easy for you, to lis- the listener, to, to look into, but also, B, because it's something that's not quite on the beaten path, meaning a lot. it's very easy to dissect and go over movies that either everyone knows about or have been out for a while. Like, we could do a yeah. show that just goes over the same stuff that everybody else goes over, and mm-hmm. we don't want to do that. We want to try to branch out a little bit and go into things, uh, untested waters, go into movies that we haven't seen a million times. Because don't get me wrong, I would love to sit here and tell you, Reanimator is great, uh, Brain Dead is great, uh, Plan 9 is bad, uh, The Shining is nothing like the book. Uh, you know, we can go on and on and on about stuff that everyone's talked about, and like you said, who knows? Maybe for the fiftieth episode, we'll talk about a, a you know a really well known movie that you know we have lots of opinions on. But I'd like to try at least yeah. in the beginning here to focus on what's new, what haven't we watched, and haven't you know completely what hasn't been done to death. So I think that that yeah. with all that said, that's how we sort of came up with watching the Chosen. 
And, and without getting uh, too crazy, like film dirty, um, you know, the idea of us talking about primarily new releases in horror, even if they are more indie films, um, you know, everyone has always said, if you, uh, you know, in any film class that has talked about horror or, you know, uh, God forbid if you've been able to take a, a class specifically about horror films, they'll tell you that horror films are a reflection of society and mm -hmm. kind of what people are scared of. You know, that's why you get like your alien, which talks about a lot of gender issues, or you get, you know, your nuclear family kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you know, in the eighties, or, you know, your um, you know, Halloween's and your John Carpenter films that kind of, you know, talk more about once again, not gender roles like Alien does, but the idea of like the man hunting the woman and the, you know, knife as a you know, phallic object kind of thing, right? right? Uh, you know, so so it'd be interesting to kind of uh, you know see primarily just new releases because it will tell us maybe what people are scared of right now and what you know people think is scary or at least what people think is popular. True. Right now and yeah, if nothing else, scary. Yeah, if, if yeah. not if not that deep of what are they scared of? It's well, what is everyone trying to cash in on at this time? Yeah, and uh, that sounded really pretentious to me. And trust me, there will be fart jokes, guys. There's, I was just going to say that don't, don't, that. that don't don't judge the whole show on that very pretentious line. Uh, it's going to get real dumb. Don't worry. Real dumb, real quick. Yeah. So uh, starting so, at eleven, we're going to drop down to like a three. Right. So Tommy Boy, uh, so. what can you give any other kind of background information on the chosen? Any fun factoids or uh, anything from Wikipedia or yeah. IMDb? I mean, secret sources, the, secret sources. The problem of the secret sources, yes, my inside sources. Um, the problem with The Chosen is there's so little information about it because no one involved with The Chosen did anything else. The director, this is his first thing. Um, he wrote, like, a short film. Um, dude's from Israel. Um, so he might have just kind of come over to the U.S. pretty recently. Maybe he was doing filmmaking in Israel, and this was his first American film. But the lead in the film, the you know, the, the young kid, uh, he's done nothing else else um the only one who's done like really anything kind of well known from the movie is uh uncle joey you know mm -hmm. um he's a pretty popular stuntman you know he's done stunts for like transformers and stuff like that um but other than that nobody's really done anything i, I so think I that's kind of, i think that's doing him somewhat of a disservice i think uncle joey has done much more than that i mean john stamos has been he was with the beach boys for a little while uh, you know, he, he helped raise Mary-Kate and Ashley, like, I think you're kind of summing it up a little, did I already blow our full, our full house reference for this thing? Have I already burned I that? I think you might have, yeah. Damn it! It's, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will tell you, you can do yourself a favor, and um, the uh, who plays the sister, the the mother of the little girl, you can go ahead and look up her IMDb and just you know just enjoy. Maybe not right now, but <laughs> but later you can look that up. Sounds good to know. Favor there, uh, Angela Chitwood. Um, but once again, has done nothing else really. I mean, these are all like really short films. Um, actually, the the mother Aunt Jean in in it, um, I think is. The one who has maybe done the most outside of this, apparently. I'm trying to pull up her IMD right, B right now. I'm baby, baby. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, she was in Just Friends, that movie with Fat Ryan Reynolds. Oh, thank God. Truly, so truly go. I mean, the Orson Welles of her time. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but other than that, I mean, this is very much an indie film. Um, for them all, the, the most kind of stereotypical indie film you can imagine, where they really much just were plugging it. These are all newbies. Everybody's fresh. 
the writers are fresh, the director's fresh, the cast is fresh. Everybody just wanted to kind of promote this film, and hopefully it did well. And in that sense, I'm sorry to right. all of you out there who worked on The Chosen. <laughs> I'm really sorry that this is the press you're getting as our podcast. Right. And what we're about to say about this movie. So, <laughs> so uh, do you want to start the... the I, I think we thought that before we just jump into our opinions on it, to kind of bring everyone up to speed. And even though we just said, hey, go watch it on Netflix, we're going to go ahead and just go point by point and summarize the movie and spoil everything. And then, Yeah, uh, this is your spoiler alert for the movie. We're going to tell you the whole thing. Um, so if you're legitimately interested in watching this movie, I mean, what you can always do with, with us is you can kind of, you know, skip ahead, use the little 15-second button all the way until the end, um, and we'll tell you whether or not it's worth watching this film. In that case, you, you, you're welcome to just skip over this actual section um, of us talking about and spoiling the whole thing for you if you're legitimately interested in watching it. But, you know, we'd rather give you the play-by-play. That way we're not talking about like we just did Uncle Joey and Aunt Jean, who you have no idea who we're talking about. So. Exactly. Um, but we'll give you the play-by-play here. So uh, this movie opens with uh, sort of a, a young um, Latin woman who's got a baby in a crib and seems to be doing some sort of a sacrifice. She's got a woman kind of tied up and gagged on the floor next to this crib, um, and she cuts her finger, draws some blood, draws a little backwards three on this woman's forehead, um, kind of rips the tape off of her mouth and, you know, the woman has some kind of very schlocky setup line about, I can't believe this, we're a family. Right. Um, it's really established. Mom was family. right about you. You are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so establishing that they are related and that this is some kind of a sacrifice for the benefit of the baby. Um, is what they sacrifice that she establishes once again very set up lines um, about like this is worth it for my child blah 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 um, so that's the initial scene that cuts um, and it introduces you to the main family so it's the initial setup here's kind of the premise of the movie without giving too much away about exactly what's going on and you know not a, not a terrible intro scene of oh what's going on here let's raise some questions kind of thing right and I actually thought that maybe the the premise was like that the baby was like a werewolf or something like that, something along the lines of like yeah. the baby's eating this person, which the turns out not to be the case. Yeah. But it's very open ended of that. Yeah. Um, and one thing I will say is they 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 sidestepped a, a, a potential grenade by not showing any real effects in that opening scene. You get a lot of noises. And a lot of spooky ambiance, but there's no, like, you don't see, you know, mm-hmm. this big CGI thing jump out like, booga booga! You know, it's, yeah, no, it's thank, uh, oh, yeah, the woman's was... upset, oh, there's a prayer being said, oh, there's big noises, now the, the woman's gone. Going on and off, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very smart on their end. I think that, if anything, they were kind of aware, and we'll get into this later, but they were aware of what their limitations were. And right. I don't think they want that to be your first, you know dipping your toe into this movie was, was seeing that like oh boy so, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah so then so then you get over to the actual family itself you want to talk about that yeah so we are kind of dropped into this family dynamic and um i was kind of surprised at first at the amount of characters they sort of threw at us but once you get to the the kind of meat and potatoes of the film you see why because typically in a horror film, you're going to be introduced to, like, okay, here's our survivor person, and then here's, like, their cast of friends that we're going to meet one by one and get summed up. Yeah. This, it was just kind of like, family, all thrown at once. It was a lot at once. 
months and it's kind of a weird family dynamic that you're introduced to immediately it's like a 19 year old that is this nine-year-old's uncle and so you're you're automatically a little like okay is this her brother and right you know who's the mom here who's the dad and but but it all makes sense so yeah so you're you're, you're introduced to cameron who is our i guess main central character and as uh, as tommy just said uh the uncle of this little nine-year-old girl you also have uh granddad who was very reminiscent of uh gramps in uh, texas chainsaw massacre just in a wheelchair not moving not talking not doing anything You've got uh, Nanny, who is the grandmother figure, who's just this loud, crotchety bitch. You've got the mom, who speaks in nothing but uh, exposition for the whole first part of it. Um, (laughs) Of, oh, I'm going on this trip that I've planned for months. Why didn't you wake up early? Oh, hey, I'm planning this trip for months, but I don't have anything packed, so put stuff in the car. Um, And then you've you've got Uncle Joey. Who is your standard deadbeat um, black sheep of the family? He's, it, which they lay on a little thick. He the the opening scene of him is he's walking to the dinner table already causing a ruckus and just drinking in the morning. And it's just like oh, his, his, I hate this family. Line to his character. Well, I'm sorry. What? Do you recall his intro line to his character? No, it was something. It's something towards it, Cameron. It is sup turd burgers, <laughs> which. Which, um, if that's not on a T-shirt for this movie, I don't really know where the, what they're waiting on. That's called marketing. Yeah, I don't know what else you would put. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but the thing I, I kind of reflect on this actor, this like, oh, I'm a well-known stuntman. I work on Michael Bay films, um, and to to read this script and have, see your first line is "sub turd burgers." You know, I don't know that I would have accepted the film at that point. I like to think that's exactly why he accepted the film. Like he was like, I don't know, I'm just a stuntman. I don't really, and he's thumbing through it. Sub turd burgers. I don't need to. Read anything else i'll be on i'll be on the set monday i'm done i'm done i imagine him kind of sitting you know in his trailer not that he had a trailer for this movie but, sitting in his um, car with the engine on in his, his car with the rest of his belongings in the backseat <laughs> and uh and and saying sup turd burgers sup turd burgers sup turd burgers <laughs> like no 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 i gotta get this i gotta get this Everything, or the director. The Everything dir- they know about my character. The director, yeah, exactly. The director's like, look, this line sets the tone for your character arc mm-hmm. through the whole movie. Everything rides on turd burgers. You have to say this. You have to say this right. You have to do, if this is not delivered correctly, it's it's over, okay? <laughs> They're having like a, uh, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> Apocalypse Now type, you know, directing session. <laughs> like rambling on for an hour coming up with the different uh, 90s insults to deliver to this family. Right, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, you get you get introduced to everyone at once. Um, obviously, the mom is sort of uh, keeping things together, uh, keeping the family together. And then we're also introduced to the concept that the uh, little girl, which I, her name escapes her right now, is it, uh, it's... Not Amy. The little girl's name is, um, it is Angie. Angie. Uh, we get, we, we find out that Angie's mother is alive. Because when you see this sort of family dynamic, you're like, okay, obviously she's like orphaned or something. Why else would she be yep. living in this madhouse with all these, like, all these family members yelling at the same time? <laughs> um, but we find out that her mother's alive. So essentially the mom figure in the beginning is, is her grandmother and, um, so we, we get this sort of introduction to there's some static within the family. There's some, there's some clashingness with the family because they won't let Angie see her, her real mom. Mm-hmm. 
and that's also handled with clunky exposition. Um, yes, that's uh, that's exactly what you're referring to with the mother. With you know, like, oh, well, once her mother cleans up her act, maybe we'll give her the chance. And you, know, you better not take her to see her mother, right? With, uh, when I'm leaving on my trip. So, of course, the first thing that Cameron does is take her to see the mother. You know. Which, which, yeah, talk about that a little bit. So they they go to the seedy part of town, and they, uh, do. they go to the various projects in this uh, part of undisclosed Northern America, right? Um, Every town, and, USA, uh, and meet up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and meet up with the mother, who's, you know, like a mid-twenties or something, uh, very junky-looking. And you know that a character's a junkie in the film when they wear heavy eyeshadow. That's your That's, number one indicator. You know, your number one indicator. Um, so they introduce her to her, and it's obvious that this character just don't care very much about her daughter, about Angie. That's, you know, that is very much something that she wants to be a part of, and she's claiming, I'm clean now, I want to get a chance to be reintroduced to the family. I want to meet mom again and have everything be good to go. Um, And it's sort of established that, well, she may not be entirely truthful. You know, she might still be on uh, XYZ drug. Um, Right. uh, That Cameron uh, sees track marks on her arm and, you know, it kind of establishes like, no, I I don't know about this. Um, But this is where the actual plot of the film kicks off is that um, they're having this little meeting, the little girls, you know, drawing pictures with her mom, blah, blah, blah. They hear some kind of domestic disturbance happening Mm -hmm. next door. And Cam, being the young hero that he is, uh, rushes to go get involved with it, kind of opens up the door to this apartment down the hall where um, there is a large man being wrestled to the ground by none other than the, you know, younger Latin woman from the beginning of the movie who. Uh, with the baby. Um, and so we as the audience automatically go, okay, you know, there, there's there's some, uh, there's an issue here, um, being that Cam uh, thinks, obviously, that the man is, you know, uh, the problem in this situation when we know, uh, he's trying to escape, actually, that this woman is trying to sacrifice him, trying to have him involved with whatever ritual she's pulling off. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs out, and uh, the woman immediately takes it out. Cam says, like, yeah, she was my last one. He was my number six, my number six. And at that point, then goes into the immediate explanation of the whole entire concept of the movie with really no reason whatsoever. This stranger that she just met, she immediately says, Hey, um, you, you don't know me. I don't know you. Let me explain to you the whole movie. Right. right. Well, and, and um, before we get to, we actually have uh, the, the whole clunky explanation here, uh, on deck, but, uh, basically how we get to this is, uh, yeah, Cameron's arguing with the young Latin woman, and then Angie uh, runs in the bedroom where the baby is that all these sacrifices were going to. Mm. We get a lot of noise and lots of, oh, what's going on? And then when Cameron goes in, Angie's standing there against the wall like your standard Blair Witch sort of, uh, sort of yeah. setup, and the baby is gone. And then, uh, and then Cameron turns her around, and, uh, and we see basic computer effects of now Angie's got scary black eyes. Yeah, we see the, the, the standard Photoshop, like, Snapchat filter of her face. It's, you know, kind of black. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that is, you know, you're, you're correct. That is a little bit more of the reason why she explained to Cam, here's what's going on, um, is that it is now uh, known that Angie, the little girl, is now possessed by whatever this entity is that had the baby. Right. So... So yeah, so so now we can go ahead. She she sits him down. She brings out this old Necronomicon looking right. thing and uh, and explains the whole plot of the movie. Um, and we can go ahead and play that for you. All right. 
chosen so that a child could be saved. Their deaths were wasted. She dares you to try, but she knows they will fail. And so basically what comes to, to this is this demon named Lilith steals children and the only way to barter is you have to sacrifice six members of the same bloodline to make that happen. To to essentially, um, I guess, feed Lilith or whatever. And then Did she goes. Did you say why it's six? Did no. Get explained. No, just that it was six. Um, okay. Can and, you play a little bit more of that clip because it, it tells a little bit what Lilith is, and it's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, and I'd like people to hear that maybe. Yeah, yeah, not not a problem. Here, give me just a second. Uh, here we go. Who are you talking about? She's the child stealer. Her name is Lilith. She was Adam's first wife. Adam. Adam. Oh, that's fine. That's really all I wanted him to hear. Is that? Oh, I wanted to. I wanted to talk. About, I wanted to talk about the the sewn up mouth and the cursed womb, which that really should have been the name of this movie. Oh but. yes, yes. All right, here, hold on. Give me just a sec. Sure. Banished from the Garden of Eden, after refusing subservience to Adam, as God commanded, Lilith was punished. Her mouth was sealed. Her womb was cursed. She could never bear children. Lilith became a creature of darkness. So, yeah, she makes a pact with Lucifer. But, yeah, I, mm. I, I like the, um, the heat. Uh, addendum to the mythology that this brings up, which is God just why? Do, why are these hairless apes just not fucking listening to me? Like first it's her, like oh yeah. she won't listen to Adam, you're out. Oh crap, now they're eating apples, you're both out. Like that's just I want to see the sitcom of God just can't get these humans to stop being assholes. No, absolutely, yeah. Um, it is. Uh, <laughs> it, it, my thing about the uh, whole premise of the movie is that you always kind of wonder in a movie involving possession how religious they're going to go with it. And apparently this one decided to, to really go for it by saying that the bad guy is the first wife of Adam, of Adam and Eve fame. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, which is uh, a little bonkers to me. Usually you expect it's kind of... Uh, Subtle sometimes, I would say, with possessions. They don't they don't go overboard with the idea of God or Jesus or blah blah blah. It's just very kind of uh, you know on the surface level of well, a priest appears and let's try and do this. It's, it doesn't go into the actual Bible itself. Yeah, because um, that usually is going to be a slippery one, slope. Yeah, but, but this one does certainly does. Um, so uh, interesting to say the least. So so um, she says this is the so here's the movie. She says right, the premise of the movie, and then she says so in order to sacrifice these six people, you gotta draw this backwards three, and she takes some blood, her own blood, I think. Yeah, she cuts her hand and, and draws a giant one on the wall instead of just you know yeah. drawing it on a sticky note or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm sticking here. You can take this with you. That way, you remember. Now he just has to remember this scene, this symbol he saw, what once on somebody's wall, and know that this is the thing that's going to sacrifice somebody um, to, you know, indeed our dark lord Lilith. Um, so yeah, so do you want to uh, maybe shoot on, continue here? Yeah. So basically, from there, now we're getting a lot of Cameron sort of dealing with his guilt and saying, "Well, I don't want to pick, you know, pick off my family members." Essentially. And uh, and choose who's going to die just to save, 
you know, my, my niece, essentially. But the weird thing about the movie is yeah. they, the, there's a lot of reasoning that kind of just gets swept under, like, the children are the future, where they're like, oh, well, it's totally worth it because little kids are more important than adults, so start killing off your family. And so, eventually, well, so the first time that this happens is, so Cameron goes back to the house, uh, Angie's just kind of, like, comatose, and then uh, Nana comes, like, waddling in and uh, to, like, check on Angie. And suddenly her bones are made of, like, paper mache, and she just kind of collapses on the ground. And, she does. Uh, and so, something spooky happens in the room. Uh, we don't really know. She kind of sees the same, like, black consequences in Angie's eyes, um, is succumbed by the power of whatever... You know, Lilith is in the room, does a little spin, and then collapses to the floor. Right, she does a pirouette and then falls down and gets a boo boo. And so then, yeah. So then Cameron comes in, sees that Graham Graham is already on death's door. So then he's like, "Well, this makes my life easier." So he draws a little symbol on her, and then this black fog shoots out from underneath the bed and and eats eats Grandma. And, and I, I don't want you to give the film too much credit by reasoning Cam's logic here because uh, without getting too far into my main issue with the movie, it started right here with um, uh, Cam coming in and saying, oh, my God, Grandma, like, and, you know, reacting like anyone would, immediately kind of rushing out of the room, seeing like he's about to die on one literally makes a U-turn, comes back in, draws the symbol in her forehead. There's no, like close up on Cam's face to see his eyes kind of darting back and forth considering what is about to happen you know should should he make this horrible decision should he sacrifice his own grandmother there's no you know internal like I can't do this what, what am I doing it is an immediate decision hearing from what could be a crazy person uh, across the hall of immediately instead of calling number one draw this little backwards three on her forehead oh and we, we forgot one aspect to the uh, the exposition notebook that he only has six days to kill off the amount of people that he needs to kill off, or else uh, the the cursed womb comes and grabs his niece, and she's gone forever. Yeah, and, and, and he's already and, uh, wasted a couple days. Apparently, he has already he's already wasted a couple days, and um, and there was oh they're also saying that really that Lilith is going to kind of be more present over time which I'd like to do something here with you Zach if we could yeah. um, so uh, the kind of structure of this movie um, without saying it out loud I'll, I'll count down from three because there's a movie that this heavily steals from in terms of the idea of this like over time sacrifice the presence is going to become more apparent blah 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 I think you know what I'm talking about I think so, but I'm 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 worried. This is a big. Uh, this is either going to work out perfectly, and all of our listeners will see how simpatico we are, and that we're always yes. on the same page, or we're going to say, be funny because you'll <laughs> say, uh, you know, because you'll say the Invisible Man, right? And I'll and, and I'll say the because on the count of three, I'll be saying, yes, "Don't tell mom three. the babysitter's dead," and then we're going to be <laughs> serious. You'll serious say, "Stop, or my mom will shoot." All right. Uh, <laughs> Okay. All right, here we go. So, three, two, one. Hellraiser. Oh, okay. Damn it. Do we we want to go back and re-record that? We can change this. We we can re-record that, probably. Uh, We'll we'll edit that out. Uh, (laughs) But... 
Yeah, I mean, I guess Hellraiser too, but Drag Me to Hell, I mean, that's that's the whole concept of the movie is that she's cursed and that it's going to be in three days she's going to be dragged to hell and that it's initially going to start off as kind of a subtle things, the wind is going to blow against the windows, blah, 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 um, but then it's going to turn into this full-blown demon appearing and taking you down to hell. And um, and also the idea of the sacrifice that, you know, in Drag Me Hell, um, she has the option of cursing somebody else with this, you know, affliction of going to hell. Um, and it's kind of this moral dilemma of, well, who would I possibly, who who in the world possibly deserves that to, to go to hell, you know, and who, who would I choose to save my own life and that sort of thing, which is executed much better in Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, actually, I'll go into, uh, I'll go into my, my, uh, my Hellraiser uh, comparison later on sure, when, we're, yeah. when we're pooping, but um, I did want to mention that one thing, much like you pointed out, that there is zero time of Cameron deciding whether or not Graham Graham's going. Um, yep. Much in the same way, we don't actually establish the day countdown thing for any character involved. The movie itself lets us know when the countdown is happening. Like, yeah. we see Angie be freaky, and then it's like, day one complete, day two. So we know that when he goes and talks to the stranger and gets handed the uh, the devil cliff notes, that he's already on day three. But they don't ever mention that by any character. Like, they don't say, like, well, we have to make these decisions now because we've only got 24 hours left. It's always just sort of like, well, we got to get around to this. It's not going to, these, these family members aren't going to kill themselves. I mean, we got to really make it happen. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, it's, it's vaguely mentioned, and, and uh, yeah, let, let, let's finish with the, the plot of the movie, because we're bordering on really getting into my main issue with the Yeah! Uh, <laughs> yeah! Problems. So then, yeah, so, so systematically, throughout the rest of the movie, uh, Cameron and Angie's mother both sort of try to figure out, okay, who next in the family line are, are, mm-hmm. are going to get taken out. And um, do you, yeah, do you remember the order? In the film, I think. Oh, so do you remember the order in which they go? Uh, yeah. Grandma, it's it's grandma, grandma first. first, you know, because she's next to the bed, and so that's when you first see the the smoke monster from Lost take her <laughs> under the bed. Um, and uh, next after that is uh, the uh, kind of bitchy, uh, almost like Angelica's mom from Rugrats uh, aunt <laughs> comes into the room with uh, her son, who's like. Uh, on ecstasy or something. Um, and they're both kind of established as very douchey. And so Cameron's like, oh, well, fine, made my decision easier. Uh, takes them upstairs. And that's where you establish something I found kind of interesting about the movie is that they established that the curse, um, Lilith will tell you whether someone's in your bloodline or not. Yeah, yeah. The symbol on, yeah, if you draw the symbol on them and it just kind of fades away, they're not related to you. So... That was a nice kind of setup because that happens with uh, the douchier um, drug loving, yeah, yeah, cousin who apparently is adopted is, is established there, but sacrifices the aunt and then decides, well, you just watched me kill your mom via a, a demon, and so I gotta tie you up on a basement. I can't just let you go to the police. I gotta, you know, take care of this. So ties up um, the douchier cousin down which, to the basement. Which d- can I can I mention something? Because you you mentioned that the director yeah. was from Israel. Um, mm-hmm. I found it kind. Of, it didn't take me out of the movie. I'm not gonna be that dramatic, but I thought it was interesting that the drug that the that Cameron mentions to the douchey uh, cousin. To kind of like cover up, like, oh, why are your hands cut up? Instead of saying, oh, I've been doing blood sacrifices to kill our family. He's like, oh, I was cutting some ecstasy and I hurt myself. And then the cousin's like, oh, ecstasy, great. 
I yeah. found that interesting because nobody says ecstasy anymore. Everyone says Molly. And I found that very interesting. Like, it would... Not that to be that dramatic, but it would be as if it was like, oh, I was using it to separate some Mary Jane that I was working with. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I enjoy that. Yeah. So I found that interesting. It, it, it seems sort of very, like, off-base almost. I mean, you quickly see that uh, he maybe said that line because he knew that the cousin was kind of a, a you know, party you know, douchebag that, you know, he may be seen his cousin with a pacifier in his mouth and, you know, a uh, right. stick around his neck or something. And right. before and there were some, there were some awkward from. Facebook photos he came across at some point. Yeah, exactly. But, 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 um, it, it does seem a little awkward coming out of Cam's mouth. And we know nothing about him being involved in any of that sort of lifestyle. And he immediately just says, I was cutting up ecstasy. And it's kind of one of those laughable lines right, right up front. Um, but, um, yeah, so if, uh, so yeah, as you were saying, um, he's systematically, you know, taking out it. And I had to sort of count on my hands at, at some point, and this is what you were saying about why they're introducing so many characters, is that he has to kill six people. So there's got to be enough people that we know as the audience for him to have an option, you know. Um, yeah, because if it was, so, oh my god, all of our family lives out of state, then the movies are screwed. <laughs> so it was like, exactly, uh, yeah, yeah, this conveniently, guy. Conveniently, they're all within driving radius and. Know, they all live in the same neighborhood, right. by frequently. So, hello there, neighbor. Uh, <laughs> so there's, um, so yeah, he kills off, he kills off his aunt. Now, yeah, uh, his there's, aunt. there's two characters I think we need to talk about real quick, and yeah. that is um, Uncle Joey, not yes. from, not from yeah. Back to the Future, but from this, and uh, and the girlfriend. Oh, and I was going to say the uh, the badass nun too, but yes, the girlfriend as well. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that badass nun there in a second. But it, before we um, like kind of where we're at in the story, there they've already introduced Cam's girlfriend. Yeah, the typical, you know, also uh, early teens, uh, early twenties, something rather late teens um, girlfriend gives you some nice PG thirteen lovemaking mm -hmm. um, interrupted by the little girl standing in the doorway. But uh, your very standard horror movie relationship uh, where it's say, you know, who knows, maybe we're going to be together forever sort of thing. Um, and so that's established. And you think uh, maybe not necessary, but one of the most well-executed parts of the film, I think. Um, so, so introducing the girlfriend there, um, she's kind of his moral support for some of it, where he's calling her saying, I don't know if I can do this. And that's touching on a lot of the themes that I wish they'd actually gotten into with a movie like this. But you know, worked well. Um, and then, so yeah, so you can talk about, uh, Uncle Joey then. So Uncle Joey, obviously, uh, what's up, turd burgers aside, he's, it, it appears that he's going to be very easy to deal with because he's just like a comedically over the top asshole to everybody in the family. Like, he's just like, whatever, I don't care if grandma and grandpa are, are old and decrepit, I'm going to have another brewski. Like, that just ridiculous, like, who can even be that much of a jerk on purpose all the time? Like, that would take so much work. Yes. But anyways, mm -hmm. so at first it seems like, okay, well, that seems like a given. He's going to be easy to take off. And so they drug him, and they're going to sacrifice him. And Cameron botches it somehow, and then Uncle Joey just, like, gets up and runs out, and that's it. So they're like, oh, nuts. So then eventually they have like a big knockout drag out fight and he ends up finally beating up Uncle Joey with a bat and sacrificing him as well. And so now it's like, okay, we're one step closer to, you know, making this happen and, and really making this work and, and saving the kid. And then at this time, suddenly this older nun shows up and, uh, 
it reminded me almost of like the Blues Brothers, of like the the evil floating nun. <laughs> like she just sort sh- of shows up and is very mean, and that's it. And we find out that apparently this nun also dealt with Lilith at some point because, of course, yeah. she did, and uh, that she had she lost her kid because of it because she didn't do it. She just sat around for six days, which I thought was interesting. And then when the kid was gone, she became a nun. Now she became the the biggest dick of a nun ever. <laughs> you know, you know, the, to the point of where, as you said, she she sat around for six days. She completely pussied out. Right. But like, will speak to Cameron like he's being the biggest bitch in the world for not <laughs> cold blood murdering members of his family. Yeah, and actually, here we've got a clip of this right now. This is when yeah. Cameron is. Uh, is once again sort of feeling guilty and not really knowing what to do. Yes. And the nun just appears out of nowhere for the angriest pep talk that's ever been recorded on film. So here we go. <laughs> you know what's necessary to say that? Your guilt is the only thing that's stopping you from saving her. He'll understand, you know. This shitty life he has is no life at all. I, I can't. You have to. That's easy for you to say. You'd have to choose six people over one little girl. Don't ever tell me what I would or would not do to save my Rebecca. Lilith is a devil's whore! And you're a fool. A fool who's squandering the only chance you're ever going to get. There is no good option here. Even God knows what you have to do. Your life as you know it is over. There's no going back. So snap out of it, throw some balls, and do what you have to do. Which, again, how did they not put that on a t-shirt? Um... Please, yeah. And, you know, I, once again, I don't want to get too deep in before we finish the plot of this movie, but once again, the a lot of sometimes what you'll see in horror movies and just regular action films is the idea of, uh, you know, sacrifice, but usually it's for a very broad good. You know, it's kind of the idea of uh, killing one to save a thousand is a right. lot of times what is even, you know, very much still uh, – really re- regrettable in, for a character in a movie where they're like, I don't want to kill anybody. You know, I mm-hmm. think this is, uh, I mean, the, I'm trying to think of the, the only uh, real movie I can think of is a terrible example, like Wanted, for instance, where he's getting, you know, trained as an assassin. It's like, well, I don't want to kill anybody. Well, you know, this could be, you know, end up being a world leader that really hurts and kills a lot of people. And so it's kill one to save a thousand kind of idea. Um, but it's still something that a character deals with. And in this, it seemed to really sweep all that under the rug. The whole concept of, well, this is one little girl compared to six people. And I don't even remember them touching on the whole children of the future concept. Um, it just seems so... Well, no, the, uh, the nun did. The nun did at the very beginning. When she first talks to Cameron... She talks about how children are a clean slate and that, you know, they you can write greatness on them, but people are, like, old and they've already made mistakes and they suck. And so young people, like, that was kind of their justification. was like, you need to kill off six shitty people to save one kid who could be a good person. Yeah. Which yeah. is a stretch. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's legitimate. That's just what the movie's logic was. Yeah, and, and and the same, that once again gets a little, you know, biblical, the whole idea of, well, you know, we as a society have sinned, and, you know, we are shit, and give our future generations the capability to not be shit sort of thing. It's, it's very biblical again. I mean, it really kind of is almost cartoony, the fact that this director is from Israel, because you watch it, and you're like, oh, it's very biblical, and oh, he's from Israel. Okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Right. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, so so we'll um, at this point. So that's the third that is that is killed is uh, is Uncle Joey. You know, you've got um, you know Coach Nun there, uh, right. slapping the shit out of uh, you know our One Direction protagonist. <laughs> um, and uh, so so this one we've got you know the grandma, uh, we've got Aunt Jean, we've got Uncle Douchebag, um, and so halfway halfway down. So, yeah, and so now they're coming to the realization that they're probably going to end up having to sacrifice themselves kind of thing, that uh, Cameron and, and Angie's mother are probably going to have to be the six, which makes even less sense because now it's like, oh, well, children of the future, we got to save those children. Well, we'll all be dead and she's going to be on her own and I hope that she sorts <laughs> it out. Yeah, hopefully she doesn't become exactly like her mom, knowing that all of her family members died for her to be alive. Right. Just doesn't become a terrible drug addict like her mother. Right. Um, but uh, the the clip we just played with the nun, she's referring to the grandfather. The the you know, which this this really does check off all of the uh, roles in your typical horror movie. You've got the creepy little girl. You've got the catatonic old man. You've got the you know teenager with an attitude. Um, so and the douchey the uh, alcoholic uncle. The douchey alcoholic uncle. So in the case of the catastrophic old man, that's who the nun is referring to, the shitty life he has. Really, really <laughs> terrible to say as a nun. Um, which so which something that. interesting is, for whatever reason, and the movie doesn't really go into it, Cameron for it just has a hard time sacrificing Grandpa, who would be the easiest of all of them, by the way. He you is the would, one... Absolutely. He hasn't spoken in years. He he doesn't eat. They show him like trying to feed him oatmeal in the beginning of the movie. Like he's the one that it's like you're doing him a solid by sacrificing him because you really are. Because what else is he doing but crapping him every day? Like exactly, you're actually helping. But for whatever reason, Cameron's like, oh, he's just such a good guy, though. I just don't. I can't. What about Grandma? Ah, Hell with her. But he, oh, he's such a. He used to play catch when I was a kid. Like for whatever reason, he just has a really really hard time with that. Even though that on paper is the easiest one to, to do. No, absolutely, yeah. That's, once again, just really just dabbling on all of the, the issues of this film is that uh, the motivations of the characters and where and when the characters have uh, any amount of like emotional see-through for the audience is very just kind of dartboard. Um, it, it doesn't make any real sense. You don't feel a huge relation. I mean, there's a, there's a point in the movie, I think the part right before um, he has the fight with Uncle Joey, you do feel a little bit like, okay, Cam's a decent protagonist, you know, you, right. you can kind of see, you know, he's he's just enough, like, cardboard that you can kind of put yourself in his shoes, and maybe that was an idea that they were touching on, is, oh, well, let's not have him do any sort of over-the-top reactions to something, because we want people to sort of be able to project themselves into this role and decide whether or not they would you know, react to the same thing yeah. in the situation. And, you know, and people can assume that if they, they are the more emotional type, maybe he's having these scenes of real emotional turmoil uh, behind closed doors where we're not seeing him. Right. But I really think we're giving the film a lot of credit by going that far. Well, I, I'm going to actually give the film legitimate credit here. So mm-hmm. in the midst of all this, they're trying to decide, okay, well, we got to kill grandpa. And then where do we get the other two members of the family to, to round it out? And then suddenly, oh, mom comes back home. Where's the family? Everybody give me kisses. Uh-oh, we've killed some of the family members. So the part that I actually enjoyed was instead of sitting her down and going, okay, let's bring you up to speed. Uh, De- uh, uh, Adam's first wife has possessed your granddaughter, and the only way to avoid the cursed womb is we've had to kill all the family me- Instead of trying to do that... 
they literally just grab mom by the wrist, take her upstairs, make the mark of uh, of the backwards three of Leet on Grandpa, roll yep. Grandpa in the room, shut the door, Grandpa gets sucked into the abyss, they open the door, they go, and here we are. So now what do we do? Now you see what the problem is, Mommy. You shouldn't have gone to the retreat. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's the best way to do it, really, because it, it erases the whole uh, concept of, uh, you know, what is in every other horror movie. Of, oh, you're crazy. You see which, which, which happens because Cameron talks to Angie's mother at first, and that's when she's, oh, this is ridiculous, there's no way, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So they so, skip the middle. Yeah, they just skip and go, time in this. watch uh, this elaborate magic trick involving a bedroom where Grandpa's <laughs> going to go in and he's not going to come back out. Very, very good. Um, and, and that leads to whoa, what is um, really the majority of this movie, which is that it's not a horror film. It's more of a soap opera. Um, and we have this clipped up because um, at this point, uh, the sister of Cameron, the mother of Angie, this is really uh, such a confusing family, um, yeah. especially explaining it. You it's a lot of weird it. uncles and aunts and things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so uh, they have a, a, an interaction here, a confrontation that it turns out uh, Angie had a brother um, that died in childbirth. But turns out um, seeing Grandpa die causes uh, old Mommy Dearest to confess that this child did not die in childbirth. Um, she put it out of its misery because it was born uh, disabled, I guess. Yeah, so here, um, we've got this right now. So here, let me play a little bit of this, and then we'll uh, we'll hopefully wrap up the summary, and then we can start uh, dissecting the crap out of this. So yes, here we go. Illness and hospitals, Mom. He went so peacefully. What did you do to Jamie? I took his frail, little life away with these evil hands. You killed my baby. My God, Caitlin, I'm so sorry. Get away from me. Get away from me. For three years, you've had Angie because I was called an unfit mother. You don't understand. You were getting you were getting so high when you were pregnant. And you kicked me out of my home and you wouldn't call me. You took my children and you killed my Jamie. You, you know, you, you say that you love God and you preach on the You're just a murderer, you self-righteous bitch. <laughs> So yeah, I believe, I believe that was the same slap effect used in the nun scene. By the way, the yes, same, that's same definitely movie. the same Foley artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, so, now, one thing I want to mention about this: she's the uh, the Angie's mother when she's yelling at her own mother says, "You preach and and, and all this bullshit." <laughs> you really don't hear that in the movie, by the way. Like she wasn't. Super religious, which I thought would have yeah. made it made that a little more um, substantial. Like I think if we had gone yes. a little more exorcist with it, like if the house was overtly Christian, and then the devil comes to this house, like I think that would have made that stick a little bit more. Instead, it just sort of was thrown in, like, "Oh, you're very religious, but you're actually a murderer. What a hypocrite you are!" It was like, "Wait, when is she really religious? I missed that part." And then, "Oh, we're moving on," you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, yeah, well, let's finish it out here, and we can kind of dive into. That. Okay, good. So, so um, she is. Uh, so after mother's confession, at this point, we, we've got four with grandpa included. Right. So with the mother's confession, um, she decides. You know, I, I've that was a 
horrible, awful thing. I don't even know that I can live with myself. I will sacrifice myself to save Angie, you know, and, and that makes sense. She says, I took one of your babies from you. She's, I don't know that she directly says this, but it's implied, I took one of your babies from you, therefore I will help you to, you know, hold save the other one. one. Yeah. You know, so, so draws uh, the symbol on her own forehead and uh, is sucked under by the lost monster and, uh, and there it is. Um, so this one, we've got five and at this point, we are out of secondary characters. Right. There are none other that have been introduced. There is no other, you know, uh, Grandpa Billy who appears from down the road. They're gone. So it's established that at this point you're between um, Cameron and uh, Angie's mother, who we keep forgetting her name. I think it's Liz. Let me look it up here. Um, it's between them, uh, and they have to make it. It's Caitlin, not even close to Liz. Um, so, <laughs> so memorable, so memorable, so uh, still memorable. So there, yeah. So then we have this big argument between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow the um, the cousin gets out of the the basement and he runs off, and suddenly the cops are showing up, and we're just rushing like like somebody on set just realized, oh my god, we've only got ten minutes left, we got to wrap this up. So. <laughs> Caitlin and Cameron are arguing over who gets to sacrifice them, who who needs to sacrifice themselves, and the cops are at the door. And, oh my god! Oh my god! And then finally, Cameron's like, "You know what? I'll just do it. Let me sacrifice myself. You keep clean. Make sure that you know Angie's okay. Tell him that I killed everybody and it's fine." And then he sacrifices himself, and then you know, and then that's it. So then um, we see, we finally see the monster, uh, Lilith, the the cursed womb, comes out from under the bed. There's a weird back and forth where like. Lilith is looking at Caitlin, and then Cameron's like, "No, no, focus on me because I have the thing on me." And then, oh, we we forgot about the um the other the the plan B. We forgot about that. So uh, before it comes down to Caitlin and Cameron, mm-hmm. Cameron goes, "Aha! I have an idea." Oh, God, yes, we did forget this. Is, oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Please, please. Don't, so don't. so Cameron goes, "Hold on, let me call my girlfriend." Now remember. The movie has established that it has to be bloodline can be sacrificed. That's why, like, adopted kid mm-hmm. didn't work, um, you know, among other things. So they call the girlfriend in because earlier for, like, ten seconds it was mentioned, oh, hey, in addition to we should go to college together, I'm also pregnant with your kid. And it was like, oh, I can't handle this right now. But he didn't say why. <laughs> he was just like, oh, I'm just a dick. I can't handle this. So they call the girlfriend. She comes in. They grab her. They go, aha, we're going to sacrifice the unborn baby. That's our number six. Everybody's happy. They draw the symbol on her tummy, and the symbol burns away, and it and the Lilith monster doesn't come. <laughs> Which, I would, can I say I was a little disappointed? I wanted to, Now, I don't want this to come across like I'm a crazy person, but if you had told me that this movie includes... The first wife of Adam coming out from under the bed, climbing in a woman's vagina, grabbing a baby, <laughs> pulling the baby out, going back under the bed, and everything solves itself. I would have been like five stars, but they don't yeah. do that. Instead, and, instead yeah. the the symbol burns off. We find out, uh oh, it wasn't Cameron's baby after all. Womp womp. They throw yeah. her out, and now they're back to okay. One of us has to kill ourselves, kind of thing. Now, what is, uh, what is a little more um, messed up about that, and I think you would kind of briefly mention this earlier, is that they kind of dump on their own logic, their own concepts of the movie, the children of the future, because they're trying to sacrifice right. an unborn baby for the for right. child. So that 
sort of defeats the whole idea that the nun was talking about about like well you know it's it's a certain level of the children of our future children right now are our future the future children (laughs) who even knows but right now say they could come out you know inbred right um so uh yeah so they so they kick her out and, and once again um a really cool concept because it could have been played up in a much more dramatic way. Um, that we we know that set up from uh, uh, Mr. I Love Ecstasy that uh, you, once the symbol goes on, if they're not blood related, it'll burn off. And I felt that the delivery of that was very just. <laughs> Well, again, so it was swept under the rug. It was very, okay, it burns off, and he goes, what, are you, you're screwing somebody else? Get out of here! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no, like, oh, the last one, the bed shaking, Willa's going to come out any moment here, the police are on their way, staring at the symbol, like, here, let's go, and then watching it burn off and just seeing, like, the look of shock hit his face or anything like that. There's none of that. It's just like, well, you get out of here, and then the, the giant hook from, you know, like, Harlem Nights comes out, just like... Yeah, the vaudeville. Vaudeville, the vaudeville hook comes and yanks her out of the movie, and they're like, anyway, back to us. So, uh, so yeah, they argue. Cameron finally sacrifices himself. But that is really where the Adobe premiere, um, all, the, all that he learned of the director. Oh, the yeah, no, that, really that, kicks that, in when Lilith comes out. So, since we're kind of jumping into the, the, the criticism side of things now, um, the, up until that point when we finally do see Lilith, I was kind of impressed that the movie, Kind of, kind of did the reverse John Carpenter thing and didn't show the monster. We just saw the mm-hmm. the black fog, and that was really it. And I was like, "Way to show restraint, movie! Like that's really, that's really impressive in this day and age." Mm-hmm. And then yeah, that final one where the the cursed wound woman literally crawls out from under the bed and is like, Hurr! and like looks at all, and it's just it <laughs> looks really rough. And it was like. Oh, really you should have taken the high road. You shouldn't have. You shouldn't have shown it. Like I get it that you kind of had to at that point, but like you didn't need to. Like you could have just, just. They didn't need to. I think they just expected that they kind of had to because really, I mean, to call this a horror movie, and well, I guess we're, we're done. That's that's the end of the movie. The, the, yeah. Then we like, jump ahead six so. months, and mm-hmm. drug addict mom has like did her hair and is not wearing smoky eye makeup anymore. Yeah. And. uh and they're fine, and, and her and Angie are okay, and they're moving out. And then we end on the, the nun, and that's it. Like, we just kind of yeah, cut to her. Yeah, we kind of looking at the house as if, you know, to give what is a, a typical kind of contemporary horror ending, which is that it's not over, you know, maybe something could happen, maybe there's a sequel, who knows. Um, but it doesn't really even apply that. The nun just kind of looks at the house like, eh, well... Maybe I'll move in there. <laughs> exactly. Like, like just looks at it like, ah, I would have changed the painting on the outside. This color's <laughs> awful. Like, that kind of just like, meh. Yeah. So, um, so that's the, so that's the movie. Um, so to really jump into it, first of all, this is to call us a horror movie is really, really a disservice. Uh, it is, uh, it is really more of a thriller. Yeah. Um, you would expect that with the premise of the movie, you would get a lot more kind of paranormal activity stuff, a lot more of the girl being on the ceiling or something. You know, there were a few scenes of Angie being like stereotypical possession sort of thing, but yeah, not yes. much. And nothing, nothing really, like, truly horrific. Nothing like, oh, my yeah. God. You know, it was all yeah. just sort of like, oh, she kind of looks spooky for a second. Mm-hmm. Well, we're done with that. So, anyway. She's standing up, her arms are out like a scarecrow, she falls down. You know, and it's right. uh, it's it's really, it's pretty disappointing. Um, and, once again, to keep comparing this movie to Drag Me to Hell, I was expecting to see kind of creepier and creepier as the movie went on. And you got closer to that sixth day of Lilith finally presenting herself, and it just didn't really happen. It was more about... 
the the politics of who are we going to sacrifice. But then the problem was is it didn't even dive into that really. It just kind of you know kind of really gingerly dipped its toe in what were some interesting concepts. You know the idea of um, how many lives are worth one and you know. Uh, who, who really deserves to die to, to save a child and what really is a cause of sin? You know, what, what, what really is deserving of this kind of level of sacrifice, but never really kind of dives into that fully. It just kind of just, just touches it slightly, just kind of a little ginger tap on the head of that concept and doesn't really get into it. It doesn't get into the emotional depth of that so for the characters, how it weighs on them. It doesn't really get into any of that. It's just kind of, well, we have a certain amount of time to, to get hit these beats, right. you know, and, and so we're going to hit those beats and it, we're, we're not going to really get into how it's affecting the characters or how it's affecting anybody involved. Well, one thing I, I would say here, if I could kind of armchair direct this, um, sure. I think the concept is interesting. I think the concept of it's the exorcist, but there's something you can do to stop it, but it's a tall order. Um, yes. I like that concept a lot. If it was me directing it, I know this sounds completely off base, I would have made it a jet black comedy. Because yes. if the concept of, oh my god, I have to kill off my family to make this happen, mm-hmm. and the movie already establishes, hey, a good majority of this family are made up of dicks, then it's like, you could have really made that, almost like, it's a terrible example, but almost like um, like Death Becomes Her, or... Um, yeah, or like Clue. Or Clue, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Where it's like... Ooh, I really don't want to do this, I'm a good person, but... And then just, like, make it almost a farce, like you, like you just suggested. Yes. Make it so yeah. crazy and just keep getting bigger, because the ending is already built for that. The yeah. ending is, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my unborn child. Uh-oh, it's not my kid. Oh my god, the cops are at the door. Oh my god, my cousin just escaped. Like, it's so high stakes and so crazy at the end, it's like, why wasn't this a comedy? Because that would have been... You know, the way to go about it, I think, to really yeah, make it, if, if you're going to bring up this cr- craziness, same thing with the nun, like you could have, you could have made that nun super vulgar and, you know, it yeah. would have been hysterical if it's just like, she's in the window, like, are you killing him yet? Like that kind of like, you could have gotten so big with it and it would have been, it would have been such a, a different take and it would have made you squirm a little bit because you're like, we're really killing off people to save this one girl, but you could have framed it like, you know, you can't pick your family, which is what they say in the beginning of the movie, but it's like, but you can deal with, you can get rid of them. Like that kind of a, a concept, you could have really played with that. And I think it would have been funny. So that you would be, you, yeah, that would you be, could have set this movie on Thanksgiving and really emphasized just how terrible these people were to each other. Um, and then had that be part of the comedy of, you know, slowly people from the table are disappearing and exactly and keep like, running in, you know, from the, into the room and having an excuse of, you know, this person is this and oh, they're, they're on the toilet and they're really being affected by the, the turkey dinner or the, the stuffing is really going right through them or whatever it is um, and really play up the comedy of this and, and they didn't. And, and it was obvious that, um, I think they maybe considered it because you have like, for instance, the cousin running out of the house, he, he does this very over the top, mm. uh, you know, falsetto scream, yeah. you know, as he's running in. And so there's like, yeah, runs in the room with, with Angie, Angie's, or with Caitlin and, and, uh, and the mother figure runs yeah. in, stops, looks at them, continues screaming, continues running. And it was like, yes. that was actually pretty comedic. Yeah. So 
I think that would have totally changed this movie. I think if you had made it a dark comedy, because like you pointed out, and I want to really hear your thoughts on this, for the so, sort of subplot or theme of the movie being the struggle with guilt, yes. it's very uneven with Cameron. And I think at that point you should have just played it up like, okay, well, if I'm going to commit to this, I'm going to commit to it. Instead of this, like, everyone is... They wanted it both ways. Okay, you've established that these characters are assholes. Even his girlfriend says, oh, well, Nana's... Or no, Caitlin says, oh, well, Nana was an asshole anyway. So that bitch probably deserved it. It's like they did the Willem Dafoe and American Psycho thing where they filmed it both ways. They filmed the whole movie with him, like, being totally cool with just killing all of his family. And then they also filmed it with him being super regretful and, and super guilty about everything. And then just kind of cut both takes together. Right, exactly. So, so it was like... So weird. So it was like, you know, uh, you're, you're telling us the family are assholes, but then you're making it like, oh, every time it's so hard, you know... Yeah, that kind absolutely. of thing. It's, it really is a, a weird, weird back and forth where it's, you know, the first kill, which, by the way, the tagline of this movie is the first kill is the hardest, and that goes completely against the grain by having the first kill be by far the easiest in his mind. He just runs the room and sees Grandma, you know, dying on the ground and says, you know what, let's try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, mm, let me roll the dice on this and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. The first kill is not the hardest, you know. Um and, uh, and and really, what you would expect to be pretty easy kills are, are very difficult for him, where he's like... Very drawn out. Yeah, it's like, unborn child, super easy. Uh, catatonic grandpa, um, very, very difficult. Uh, uh, Aunt Jean, super, super easy. Like, fully functioning woman, you know, taking care of her son, super easy for Aunt Jean. Um, and then uh, Uncle Douchebag, kind of difficult, because he has this whole confession of like, you know, I know I hide behind a mask of alcohol, but I do kind of care about you guys. Yeah, it just seemed like they really were trying to hit both and ended up hitting none in yeah. the meantime. Yeah. So tell, so tell me your thoughts on, on Cameron, because it seemed like while we were summing up that uh, there were some different points that stuck out to you and that you wanted to kind of go into. So how do you feel about Cameron as our protagonist? You know, as I said, and you know, John's trying to give this film too much credit, but you know, he might have been kind of blank slate in order to be our protagonist. You know, to to fill our shoes and see how we would feel. But um, uh, you know, once again, I really don't think that that was what the director was going for. I think that he just, you know, didn't really execute Cameron, or maybe Cameron, this being his first film, the actor who played him, that uh, you know, he really didn't dig into this, you know, concept as much, and really just kind of hit the beats. You know, hit his mark, blur the line, um, and didn't really go into as much of, you know, here's how we really feel to be in this. And, you know, it would really be interesting to see a character like Cameron just become more haggard throughout the movie, you know, become more just kind of disheveled and just beaten down and, you know, bags under the eyes, just feeling horrible and and becoming a little bit crazier. And, and once again, it just kind of lightly sprinkles a little bit of that near the end where, you know, he's he's so done with this and he's, he's already killed, you know, five of his family members, he's like, you know what, bring the girlfriend in here, go fetch her for me, because I, I need to sacrifice my more child right now, this is the only option right now is to sacrifice that child, and, but it doesn't really, it doesn't give you that fulfillment of that, of like, oh geez, this starts out with a character who really is pretty grounded in reality, you know, pretty uh, loving, caring about this, you know, his family cares about the people around him and becomes really kind of this Walter White psychopath near the end. Um, but just 
touches on it. Doesn't doesn't really go super into it. And I, I think have, that's one of I have to say that in in that same vein, one thing that bothered me was so after the unborn child thing, then we get this squabbling between Cameron and Caitlin, where they're both sort of kind of uh, arguing their point why they shouldn't be sacrificed mm-hmm. because. And, and the thing that bothered me was, so Cameron, his point about why Caitlin should be the one sacrificed is, well, you were a crappy mother, and uh, you weren't really there for her, and now suddenly you're, you're on board, but, you know, you weren't really fit, and you, you, you're kind of uh, selfish, and so you should sacrifice yourself. And then Caitlin's response back is, well, you should sacrifice yourself because you're a murderer, and so... That's you're you're unfit. Yeah, no, that was something that really uh, like it, it, maybe this was a much longer script to begin with, and they really had to cut a lot out of it because that is such a bombshell to just kind of drop the fact that you know ultimately this very terrible situation that they're in that Caitlin, the mother, has agreed to. Okay, we're going to sacrifice members of our family to save my child. Is all of a sudden you know really categorizing as stone cold murder and saying you are responsible for this. And, and she really points the finger at him for, for being involved in any of this at all, which, you know, which is fair. He really bust into the room and allowed Angie to get in there. So Right, which is, it is on him, but yeah, I completely agree. It was like, the movie even made sort of extra attempts to show that he wasn't just killed. Like, it would have been different if he had to stab him in the heart with a dagger and draw a pentagram with their blood and then they got, you know, absorbed. No, it was like, he just kind of like had to hit him in the kneecap and then just draw a little symbol on him, and then the the the, the womb did the rest. And it's yeah. like, so realistically, he didn't really kill anybody. Like he killed he killed the ant. That was it. Everybody else was just sort of like, hey, here, do this a favor for me, real quick. There you go. You're in. Literally, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's why the structure of the film is so odd and feels so, um, you know, disjointed and so almost Pulp Fiction in a way, like out of order. Right. Um, is because, you know, it starts out super easy for him and Grandma. Then the very next one, he, you know, hits two of his family members with a baseball bat and knocks them out in order to, you know, sacrifice these people. You know, you would think that... Grandpa would be the next logical step, being this catatonic person that you could just kind of wheel in and, and maybe almost use as a confessional, just kind of sit there and be like, Grandpa, I, I don't want to do this. You know, this is terrible. And, you know, if there is a God out there, you know, maybe that God would compel you to, to speak to me right now, to stand up and to tell me that this is wrong and that what I'm doing is wrong, and maybe uses that as a justification to then move forward with the rest of getting worse and worse, and suddenly he's tying up family members in the basement and, you know, hitting them in the head yeah, with a baseball bat. Yeah, because before they wheel Grandpa in for the the weirdest magic trick uh, on record, yeah. um, he the only line he says is he says save her as they throw him in the room. So you yes. could have saved that for a confessional scene like that, like you, you know, could've. tell me tell yeah. me that this is crazy, tell me that I shouldn't be doing this, and then have him be like save Angie, and then like okay, let me try. And yeah, you could have even made you could have even made Grandpa the uh, the guinea pig. Because, you know, he walks in, Grandma's half dead, and he's like, well, I might as well throw some stank on this and have see see what happens before I call the police or the ambulance. So with Grandpa, you could have made that the, the trial run of like, all right, well, this lady says if I do this, you know, you're going to go away and Angie's one step closer to being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they didn't. I also thought it was interesting that there was no change in Angie until the very end. There was no... Um, 
Like, like she wasn't becoming less possessed as it went on. It was like, no, she's boned, and then uh, nothing changes until the sixth person is sacrificed, and then suddenly she's okay. It was like, yeah, I was expecting... Yeah, she'll, she'll lay there on the bed and just not move at all. You know, you would think that maybe one person, there would at least be an effect in her, you know, there'd be a little exorcist, you know, she'd fly off the bed or run, something would happen with her. But she well, just, I, I think it should have been one way or the other. Either she should have been visibly getting better, yeah, or... She was not, and they pointed out. They pointed that out because then that would have been an interesting aspect of like yeah. one or the other. Either look, she's getting better. We have to keep killing people, mm-hmm. or you've already killed X amount of people, and she looks the same. What if this isn't working? Yeah, no, absolutely. But there was no, there was no explanation or no, you know, introspection into any of the characters. Uh, you know, their thought process and that it was just, you know, the immediate agreement of well, this is what we got to do. Um, let's. Just keep doing it like it was a nine to five job for them all. Right. Where they're just like, well, we got to do this. We got to deliver these pizzas. We got to kill our family members. Right. You now, know, that's now, what did you think it. about the nun in general? Because I thought it was an interesting character. I really liked it. Um, I would have watched a, a, re, a gritty reboot of Sister Act starring her instead of Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> um, yeah. But do you think she's real or not? Because. Her story checks out. Like, okay, I can see her, you know, she had to deal with this before. She says that she wrote the book, which, side note about that, there is no reason that book needs to be the Necronomicon, by the way. There's no reason. If it's written by a nun, there's no reason why it needs to be, you know, scrawled on these dirty old parchment papers. Yeah, exactly. Like, it could have just been, like, a manila folder. Like, there was no reason for it to be, like, in this big, grandiose book. Like... Mm -hmm. It was like she's the minute she said, "Oh, I wrote this." I was like, "Then why does it look like that?" Like <laughs> it could just be like a notebook. It doesn't have yeah, to be. What's wrong with you? Were you locked in an asylum? Were you writing that? Yeah, like why, where did why you does it look like that? How many monks did you know that was going to put that leather bound for you? Like that's right. But anyway, she disappears a lot in the movie. She does, and, and that would be a really interesting. Uh, you know, I would give the director major props if if the nun was. Uh, Cameron's, you know, literal angel on his shoulder. Death, yeah, sense. that's kind of you what know. I thought they were going for, but again, didn't really commit to it, because yeah, when just, she first shows up, she knows Cameron's name without mm-hmm. explanation, and then, you know, she's saying things like, oh, he'll understand, mm-hmm. you know, this is what you gotta do, blah, 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 and then after the scene that we played, he turns to Grandpa to say something, and then comes back, and she's gone. Yeah, and that, we, that's in their house, like, yeah. I, you know, I mean, because they first meet... Like, in the general apartment... Co- they, they, I think they first meet in Caitlin's apartment complex. If I'm not mistaken. He sees her. He, he sees, sees her, but I don't think they say anything. Yeah, so I don't know how she... She knows where the house is, and then she's inside the house. Like, he just... Yeah, she claims that the book... The she The book tells her, like, she can follow the book or something like that. Which, yeah. again, mystical elements that are not explored. But, yeah, I my thought was that it was almost like dogma, where it was like, that's an angel or that's God to some extent, coming down to be like, look... My hands are tied here, but if you do this, it's okay. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. It was, you know, absolutely. And I think if they had really, I mean, it would have been very easy to just, like, have that be, you know, the shot at the end with the nun, where if they had had her kind of just disappear, or even had or her ascend or something like that. Or something, or yeah. something, you know, anything you know, to, to signify, hey, she's not just a normal nun. She's not, you know, that would have been a nice, interesting, oh, wow, okay, a nice ending. Something, something to ponder after this exactly. movie is over. You know, as opposed to, okay, well, this is very straightforward, and now it's over. Um, or, or if she had her book again, like, that's kind of what she's, she's sort of guarding this book or something like that. But yes. instead it was just like, meh, 
I hope they get a good price for the house. Like that was it. Yeah. It was like okay. If they had established at the end, even something like what if the nun was working for Lilith, or the the, right. the the nun was the embodiment of Lilith on Earth or whatever, and she was kind of setting up these situations, you know, like placing the book and the right thing, kind of like a sinister thing almost. Where yeah, like I'm 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 surprised they didn't go with the low hanging fruit of like the nun standing there, and then somebody comes by with a baby carriage, and then it's like. Oh, what a sweet little baby! And then the baby's eyes are black, like, <gasps> like something like that, instead yeah, of just no, her just standing there, like, meh. And it would have had to be more of a, a an actual horror movie, as we said. This is not really a horror movie. There's no horror in this per, per se. Um, it's 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 horror nice... based concepts, but yeah, there's no yes. real. It doesn't no feel horror. like a horror film. Yeah, and that would have been a nice final scare, as contemporary horror films are wont to do. Um, that's that you could have had a nice little like baby's yeah I like you said baby's eyes turning black or or her kind of paranormal activity lunging at a camera or whatever right. it is and, now you know, now you mentioned the correlation between drag me to hell the one that I wanted to briefly make was when I watched this movie it reminded me of a less stylized Hellraiser because instead of bringing Frank back by killing off you know sleazy random people it was well we're bringing yeah. Angie back by killing off family members but. And, and very similar in terms of we know of the Cenobites in Hellraiser, but they don't show up until the end. Like, that sort of an idea, and they kind of did the same thing with Lilith. Like, she didn't, we knew about her, but she didn't show up till the end. It's like quasi biblical. But like I said, just no, no real flair or, or, um, edge to it. It was just sort of like, yeah. well, there's this, and that's it. And there wasn't a, uh, you know what Lilith reminded me of? Reminded me of that terrible, terrible uh, CGI creature from Darkness Falls. That's what it reminded me of. Just kind of like, oh, really? it's got long, stringy hair, and it's spooky, and okay, well, anyway, it's going away now. Um, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it seems so, uh, just, it seemed so recipe for a horror movie, in a mm-hmm. way. But just uh, just done with no no real style. Um, yeah, and like I said, yeah. that's part of the thing with Hellraiser, is it's essentially the same story, mm-hmm. but A, you've got the aesthetic of the Cenobites, how interesting that is, and the hooks and change, and the yes, S&M, yeah. like, mm-hmm. that's intriguing on its own, but then you've got this whole plot of here are terrible people doing terrible things, and like mm-hmm. the seduction of the innocent, sort of, and so... They didn't. They didn't treat Cameron that way. Like Caitlin did at the very end of like, "Hey, you're a bad person." But up until that point, the movie's like, "Oh, you got to do what you got to do." Kids of the future. Yeah. So I think if they had committed more to that, or just ripped off Clive Barker more, I think we would have had a more enjoyable um, film because of that. We would have. You could have almost had kind of like a, a, a coming coming to arms at the end of of Cameron really realizing, you know, seeing the blood on his own hands, really, at the right. end, and, exactly. and that being the justification, which was not the case, even when she's in the library, he's like, well, I mean, I was, doing, I was just doing what I was told to do. Right, it exactly. really a moment of like, oh, wow, you're absolutely correct, I really did, you know, choose my family members that were going to die, and, uh, you know, set up their deaths, if not, drove the knife in myself. Right, know, exactly. And knew that set them up, that, that the knife was going to go and like I said, I think if you had done it as a comedy, you could have, you know, kind of played that up to more extent, and I think it would have at least been an interesting, instead of being so by the book, it would have been more so like, oh my yeah. god, this is super dark, because the how Hellraiser gets away from being bland is it's so in your face about certain elements, like yes. there's certain gore elements, there's certain um, 
theological elements that you're like, oh, this makes me really uncomfortable. Whereas yeah. this, it never got into that. Like the most it got into was like, oh, it's Adam's first wife. And even though it says that divorce isn't cool in the Bible, apparently God was okay with just hitting do over on that and divorcing and not just getting rid of someone, but banishing them for some reason. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and really, I found this film fucking boring. I'll be completely honest. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I was trying to watch this and there were parts where I was, you know, like my, my eyes were becoming closed. Right. Uh, that it was, it was very, very boring. Um, you know, and that, and that's the problem with it is that it, there was, there was no, uh, you know, as you said, with the Hellraiser comparison, which is a great comparison that, that there was nothing that went overboard. There was no, it's, it's the old theory that in order to achieve any kind of greatness in art, you have to really, really reach far and you might do something that's a little bit corny or a little bit cheesy or a little bit ridiculous. Um, but it, you're, you're, that's the only way to achieve it. You know, that people could have, uh, the original Hellraiser could have been a really huge flop, but at least it would have been memorable. Like, right. remember that ridiculous movie with the S&M demons that right. appeared? Um, but that's the only way to do it. And this just played it safe on every angle. There was no gore, you know, there was no uh, really ridiculous, you know, uh, as you said, like theological elements or, or anything else. It was just really playing it safe from all angles. And and that's what made what made it work. That's what made it a soap opera is that it was really just playing it safe everywhere from every which way. So any any final thoughts on the chosen before we wrap up here on the uh, inaugural episode of of our show? Sure. Um, I, I would say generally, uh, and maybe you want to hold on on this, but whether we're going to say whether it's worth watching or not, I think people generally have the idea, but. Um, but I would say that when it comes down to it, I mean, this is not something that's going to give you either the thrill of watching uh, a good, intense horror movie, the uh, suspenseful film, or the thrill of watching kind of a cult, you know, terrible B movie. It's it falls just enough in the middle um, to be really, really, truly forgettable. And I don't even think that we are even going to remember this movie besides it being our first episode. True. Yeah, I think that it, that although some of the concepts are interesting. There are much better versions of these concepts explored, like Drag Me to Hell, like Hellraiser, like those yes. types of films, even The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, there are better versions of this idea that you could watch instead, but I agree it does not fall into the so-bad-it's-good category on the opposite end of the spectrum, where it's like, oh, well, the dialogue is so bad, or all oh, the acting is so bad that you can laugh with friends. It was just, like you said, ultimately it kind of comes up short and is just sort of boring overall. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I would recommend this one. Um, no, I would definitely all. not recommend this at all. Um, and eventually we'll probably have a sound effect, like a, you know, busted or confirmed sort of thing to, to right. tell you <laughs> whether we think this is worth you well, for the, out. For the time being, we'll give it a stern rating of, <laughs> and we'll just yeah. stick with that. Absolutely. Well, great. Um, so in terms of our future movies that we'll be talking about, I mean, it'll probably be sort of a similar concept of, you know, seeking out, uh, once again, new releases on Netflix, things that you guys could check out if we think it's worth checking out. Um, and, and generally, they're going to be things that are lower rated on there. You know, we're not going to try and seek out good horror movies and, you know, go on talking about you know, waxing poetic about beautiful horror movies. Um, we, we'd rather find things that are maybe not as great and maybe pleasantly surprised occasionally and really like aspects of it. I was just going to say, that would be my preference. I don't want to necessarily be, you know, the Negative Nell podcast, um, mm. but you never know. Sometimes there are things off the beaten path that can still be pretty enjoyable. And That's so true. if there's, so any of our listeners, if there's any suggestions you have or anything like that, we would love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, we would love to take things under consideration 
and uh, and hopefully Absolutely. hopefully we will we'll find some hidden gems in here somewhere. That'd be great, you know, because you can't always trust Netflix or use them. I'm pretty sure Captain of the Woods is a pretty terrible rating on Netflix, and right. you know it's one of my favorite horror movies. So uh, you know uh, you really can't trust that. So hopefully we will find some pleasant episodes, and maybe you know it'll be a nice kind of relief from us just talking bad about movies over and over again is, is finding a general gem that we say, guys, you can go and watch this. So great. Um, do you want to plug anything before we wrap up here? Let's see. Um, if you, if you're interested in it, seeing any of my reviews, uh, go on YouTube, youtube.com slash horrible horrors new. I have a new, uh, review project that I'm sort of, uh, releasing now called the final 30, where I go through a bunch of public domain films and watch the last 30 minutes of them. And uh, decided whether or not I would watch them from the beginning and stuff like that. It's interesting on paper. So far, I'm five movies in, and only one of them have been rewatchable, and that's not filling me with confidence that I'm going to survive this hundred movie project. But nevertheless, so yes, YouTube.com/slash Horrible Horrors New. Uh, would you not recommend that people go to YouTube.com/slash Horrible Horrors Old? No, because that's all just. Uh, Middle school videos and first play I was in when I was in the fourth grade. Um, it's just, it's, right it's no, it's no good. It's no good. My project is not as directly linked to this. Um, it's more of just my kind of collective works and writing I'm doing right now. You can find that at my Tumblr, which is hauntingandheroes.tumblr.com. Um, so that's not all of my work right now. It's going to be sort of slowly posted, especially if, you know, we start to get people that want to see more work, or if we get anybody listening to this, and I'll be more inclined to keep posting more work on there. Um, but right now, it is uh, uh, just a single short story of mine, and uh, I really love feedback, love comments on that, so that'd be really, really cool. But uh, yeah, I think, well, I think that's it. I, I agree. So uh, thank you for listening to the first episode. Expect much more of us rambling about films, and for frightful failures on film, I am Zach Romero. And I'm Tian Guignol. Thank you again for listening, and keep circulating the tapes.